ahead and go to Exodus 4. Exodus 4. I was speaking to Brent this week, and, and usually him and I speak about the, the scripture that was going to be read beforehand, and I told him, I, I want you to read the text this week because um, it can be seen as a complicated text to, to teach through and to understand, and um, we're not going to read through it in its entirety at one point. We're going to break it down, so I wanted you to hear it. That's why he said pay attention. And so on that thought of paying attention, um, if you're juggling a lot of things right this second, we're going to really breeze past you really quickly. And so try to get your mind right. I, I say this a lot of Sundays. If, if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I'm right here in this row where no one's sitting. Okay? And so the front row invites you. Unless you're going to sleep on me, move up at times, okay? This is a safe space to be able to hear and learn. Your kid is not going to distract me. Um, That is a good place to be. And so get your minds right. Get your Bibles open. Get your highlighters ready. We're going to jump into some pretty deep waters today. Sovereignty. What does that mean? You hear this word, we talk about salvation, we talk about repentance, we talk about grace, we say the word sovereignty, and for some of you guys, you go, man, I know exactly what that means, that when you say it, I understand it, and for some of you, you say, you know, I've heard the word, but I don't know what it means. So from a biblical stance, what does sovereignty mean? It simply means this, absolute, that's the key word, absolute rule, absolute power. It means that his being God, absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure and will. Absolute. Well, what does absolute mean? Well, from his surface level, even my, my child Lila, my youngest, would be able to tell you. If I go, what does sovereignty mean then, little one? She would say that God is God and I'm not. So she'd understand that. And maybe you're like, well, I get that concept. But here's the question. How does sovereignty play out in our everyday life? So I understand the idea of absolute. He is God and I am not. But could you explain it? If I said, hey, Clay Cunningham, do you get that? He'd go, yes, Hunter, it's pretty simple. I understand that I'm not God. If I said, hey, will you come up and speak to us about how that looks in our everyday life for about 30, 45 minutes? Could you do that? Maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. It's like the idea of infinity. I brought infinity into an illustration months ago. Like, I get the concept of infinity, but if you ask me to write it, I don't know if I could. Right? So what does it mean? Well, I get the concept that it's everlasting, but but could you explain it? Could you write it? Could you teach somebody on the concept of infinity, even though your mind grasps the idea of it? Now, what questions does this create in your mind? So when something is not fully understood, what questions does it create from other questions that might arise, right? And so where is Christ? Celia, we got one slide. She's not changing this for the whole time on purpose. Where is Christ in Exodus 4? 
And so we're going to be speaking into some, some hard conversation, some foggy conversation. Hunter's already passed me. I got to go listen again to tonight on, on YouTube. But in the midst of all of it, where is Jesus in this text? So before we pray, I want your minds ready. Moses, last week and the week before that, Moses spent quite some time arguing. We had to do two weeks of it. Moses stands before God, burning bush. He's in his new life, 80 years old. He has a wife and kids and a new life as a shepherd. And God says, Moses, what? Go. Remember? Moses, go. And what does Moses say? Who am I? Who am I to do these things? So Moses and God, God tells him. He goes, this is who you are in the light of who I am. Go. And what does Moses say? Who are you? You've explained who I am, but if I go and I say these things to these people, some are going to say, who is this God you speak of? And God told Moses. He says, go. Moses looks at God. He says, if I go and if they know, I'm not able to do any of these things. Not well. Remember that from last week? I'm not capable. I'm not gifted. Like, I'm not your guy for this. And then he says, if they do listen, if I have this stage and they're all politely looking at me and they haven't left yet, they're not going to believe me if I tell them. Right? So when every time Moses says no, God says go. We're going to pray here for our time. We need God's prayer. Look at Exodus 4, 14 through 17. We're going to read where we ended last week. We're going to pray for God's word, and he leads us this morning. We have to make sure we do that. Look at verses 14 through 17. It says in the text, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? Does this ring a bell? You remember this from last week? And I know that he can speak well, and look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. So man, that really pulls him to this morning as well. God has his hand in this, right? It'd be hard to say he doesn't. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be with him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, in which you shall do the things and the signs I have called you to do. Let's bow our heads and pray for this morning. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that in the midst of some of the fog, we see light. And I pray for everyone in this congregation where we are in different spaces. We have people here that could be lost. We have people that can recite Exodus 4. We have a group of people in different seasons and spaces in their life. But no matter who we are in this church, Lord, I pray that all eyes, that all ears, that all hearts, that all souls are grounded in your word. 
Lord, I pray that we leave stronger, more faithful, more trusting, more obedient than when we came in. Lord, I pray that you remove all of my opinions, all of my thoughts, all of my agenda, any praise that comes my way, and it's all pointed towards your goodness. Lord, make clear what man has confused. In your precious nature, name, the church says in harmony, amen. So before we jump in, I've mentioned it and Brother Brent here, he mentioned it, that Exodus 4, 18 through 31, from the mouths and minds of people light years smarter than I am, theologians and historians and pastors that have preached longer, people that know God's word better, they will say to you that in all of Scripture, verses 18 through 31 is some of the most difficult texts to fully understand and explain in all of the Bible. And that is where we are this morning. For my small group, remember what Jacob Partridge told us. What did he say? He has eyes up, right? So make sure your eyes are up and you're listening. Miss Tony, you're not in my small group, but you lifted your head up. So thank God for that. You don't understand the joke, but understand that. Pay attention. So when it's called a difficult text, hear me out. We are not called to run from it. From texts that might be hard to understand, we are called not to run from it from things that we might not understand or fully grasp or have different opinions on, we are not called to run from it. And so when you teach like we're teaching, where we say, hey, we're going to go through every word of the Bible, when we hit spaces where we go, man, there's going to be some debate here, there's going to be different opinions, we might ruffle some feathers, there's going to be people who don't understand, people who don't care, and people who grow, we're still called to look at it because all of God's word is a gift and beautiful. And that's where we are this morning. Moses, Brent read to you the whole thing. Moses finally goes. Moses finally goes, but we see moments that create questions about what does infinity look like, right? How do you explain sovereignty at his deepest level? So we see God, he hardens the heart of Pharaoh. What does that mean exactly at his deepest thought? Then we see that God seeks to what? Kill Moses. He has spent weeks building him up, getting him ready to go, and now he seeks to kill Moses. My phone rang off the hook this week. Thank God for it. You guys calling and going, hey, he's trying to kill him? Like, why is that? Great questions, great conversation. Then we see, um, unexpectedly, the thing that came to the rescue was a drive through circumcision. How is that? And so one thing that we see as we read this and I talk to you guys is that, man, this creates some what? Some questions. And when I think that I might have answered a question, it just creates a new question. And then that creates a new question and a new question and a new question. That's the type of text that we have this morning. So the one question that I want on your mind above all other questions is where is truth and confusion? Where is truth in confusion? And the answer, if you know it or not, is where is Christ? I can't make sense of this. I read it and I read it. Where is Jesus? And when you see Jesus, it will shed light on confusion. So let's get started. Look at Exodus 4, verses 18. 
There's some complicated stuff here in the middle, but we start off pretty simple with some pretty applicable realities of what it means to be obedient. Look at verses 18 through 20. And so Moses went, so Moses is off, and he returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, Please let me go and return to my brothers who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Will you highlight that for me? Please let me go. Why are you leaving? And what does Moses say? To see if my brothers are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go and return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. And then Moses took his wife and his sons, and he set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So after all the excuses, after all the back and forth, out of all the, I'm not your God, yes you are, Moses is off. But what I love about verse 18, and the Bible does not say this, but the human mind could think this, is that what he tells his father-in-law and why he is going would almost give you the assumption um, that his heart is still not fully bought in. And so I was thinking about this and I was looking at my life and going, is this what's happening in Moses? It made me ask the question, have you ever been obedient and reluctant at the same time? Like as that money went into the plate, your hands shook, you know, you're like, you know, right? Are you ever stepped on a plane to go to Haiti or New York and you're still like, man, what am I doing here? Are you committed to something that you know God has called you to, but you're still uneasy? In my mind, this is kind of where I see Moses at. So scripture doesn't say, but it says that he's not fully potentially bought in at this moment. He looks at his father-in-law, and he doesn't give the explanation to our understanding of why he's going. He goes, hey, I want to go to Egypt. Why? I want to make sure my family's okay. Just keep going. It's starting to get a little complicated to understand in these next few verses. Look at 21 through 23. And the Lord said to Moses, now when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all the wonders Before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart. Will you highlight that for me, guys? But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Let's just stop the sermon and have a big group discussion. That'd be fun. Actually, it wouldn't be fun, but it says, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. What does that mean? Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I will say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, which God has already said he's going to say, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn son. So God tells Moses to go back to Egypt. Why? Like Abraham, he says, go You're older in life, you're in a new life, you're in retirement, I'm calling you back, I have built you up, you are ready, you are prepared, you are equipped, I'm ordaining this path for you. He says, I want you to go back to Egypt, why? Because I want you to deliver my people out of bondage. You are my instrument. He says, go to the people. I want you to perform the three signs. Do you remember this from three weeks ago? Remember the staff to the snake, back to the staff? 
You remember the healing of leprosy where he said, put your hand by your chest and pull it out of your shirt and show them healing? And then he says, take the water and turn it into blood. I want you to perform these signs because when the people say, who are you? Who is he? You're insane. I don't believe you. Show them the miracles of God and they will, right? But he says, listen, when it comes to the Pharaoh, hear me, they will listen. The people will listen. But when it comes to the Pharaoh, he will not. He says, you will stand before him. You will say the things that I want you to, but I'm telling you in advance that it will not work. He will not listen. You can almost have this moment where Moses probably said, why? And what does God say? Because I saw to it. I've actually ordained this reality. So why is God doing this? We're going to start asking some questions. Why is God doing this? And if God is doing this, one question that leads from that question is, is God still doing this today? And one question that leads from that, is that good news? Or is it bad news? What does that mean for me? In 2022, is God ordaining, opening and closing doors, hardening hearts today? Well, some people listen and some people not. So that's what you see in messages. Hey, Hunter, God knows, I don't. You will preach the gospel, and this man will hear, and this man not. Why? Because I've ordained it so. Is that what it means? And so there's some questions that come up, some pretty deep, difficult questions to work through. That some of us love this space, and some of us don't. Is God in complete control? Let's take a second. Is God in complete control? Well, one thing that we have to discuss, if there is such thing as free will, man's ability to decide, well, then is God in control? Are we both doing this together? Which one? Do you know how to answer it? Can you write infinity? Let's keep going. Well, let's say there's not free will. Was well, there any such thing as genuine faith? Can you answer that one for me? Clay, get up here, 30 minutes. I got Brandon last week, and Clay's my guy this week. Is God really in control? Is he really in control if man is deciding? And if man is not deciding, then is there anything such as genuine faith? Well, I think one thing that I want to make sure that we are all on the same page on, no matter where you line up in your thoughts and theories, God is not in heaven on the defense. God is not in heaven, no matter where your mind is. If you don't care at all about this, you're already lost, so you have a lot of thoughts. We probably have a room full of all. God is not in heaven crossing his fingers going, man, Jeremy, if you mess this up for me, he is not doing that. God's, God's family's not calling him to bed while he's going, hey, I got to keep an eye on this or it's going to get bad for all of us. That's not happening, right? God is in control. God has a plan, and it's good for us to glorify him. So I want you to read, though, in Exodus 4. Well, I want you to see, before we start breaking it down, I want you to see in Exodus 4 the simplicity at the surface level that the Exodus was not, no matter where your thoughts are, the Exodus in the Bible was not in any form or fashion dependent on man. God was steering this ship. He knew in advance. The scriptures show us he had an ordained plan, 
but I want you to hold on to the why. We're going to end with the why. I want you to listen as more questions start to pile up and the story starts to thicken. This is where most of you guys called me this week and last. Look at 24 through 26. It says, And it came to pass on the way that in encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zevriah took a sharp stone and cut off his foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go, being God. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. What does this mean? Because why would God now want to kill Moses? Like we just spent two weeks of God telling Moses to go, Moses arguing, God saying, you are my man. Moses saying, no, I'm not. God saying, yes, you are. And now we read at the end of the chapter that God plans to kill him. And I read this and my human mind even goes to Moses' potential heart of going, I told you I didn't want to go. This is exactly why I didn't want to. Now my life's in danger. So why would God seek to kill Moses? Can anyone explain this? Well, the why potentially could be explained even though the circumstances might not be able to. We can see the why, the answer in this. David Evans and I were having a great conversation. The why in this from what came to the rescue. We can see at the end, in which I just read to you in verses 26, that Moses' son was not circumcised. So in that, remember, there are different covenants in Scripture. There is the Old Testament covenant, and there is the New. You and I live in the New. The Old Testament covenant said to live by the Old Testament covenant, there had to be bloodshed sacrifice. And if you wanted to serve and live in the God of Abraham, you better lead by example with the mark of God, which is that blood sacrifice, which is circumcision. So Abraham led this after that covenant, but Moses, in the eyes of God, did not have that and put his life in danger. But this is where the conversation of God's sovereignty and control and path raises more questions. Scripture tells us that God was going to kill Moses. Did he? Answer. No. Well, why didn't he? Why why didn't he answer? Why didn't he kill him? Circumcision. A lot of you might have a lot of answers for that. But we read the text and it does seem that it was because of that, which is a huge reference and connection to man's response and faith, man's decision. How do you balance both? Because usually no matter where you line up on this question and conversation and argument, it's usually a group that goes, hey, listen, here are all my verses. And this group goes, hey, here are all my verses. But in this text, they all are in harmony together. So how do you make sense of it? This is one thing that alarmed me this week in my studying. Pay attention, please. I sat there at my desk, at my home, and then at this church. I went to the long table. 
I had books galore. I had six commentaries. I had a sermon going. I was on the phone with people I love and respected. I was asking questions. I was praying through. I was, had my highlighter out. And I was reading all of these men that are so much smarter than I concerning Exodus 4 and this complicated text. And here's the thing. I read this book and 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 this book. And everybody had a different thought. Everyone had a different thought. And here's, you know, spoiler alert, not everybody can be right. So all these people, this is what I think, and 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 that's not what alarmed me. What alarmed me is that each individual spoke with confidence about things they assumed. So there are times in text that you and I might not be given a clear answer And we are called not to speak with confidence and assurance about things that we assume. The balance and harmony, hang, the balance and harmony on God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is not a puzzle or a riddle to be solved. It is a truth and mystery to find peace and comfort in. It is to praise. Thank Jesus that we don't understand everything. But I want to. I need to. I need to fully grasp it all. And so that's not good enough for man, is it? To stand here and me go, I don't know. That's not good enough for you. So what will you do? You will seek to find out, which is not always unhelpful. And so what do we see in man? Often we see in man, in those mysteries and God's truth, is that man will often lose sight of just how great God is in their attempt to measure just how tall he is. Like, I want to know so, 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 so much about the mysteries of God where I just lose sight on how great he is in my life. Don't lose sight of God in your attempt to see him. And write that down. Don't lose sight of God in your attempt to see him. Here's the truth. We are called to understand God's word because here's always the argument when you talk about the mysteries of God and somebody will make it in this room is, Hunter, you know what? It's good to learn. Of course it's good to learn. I'm teaching every week. It's good to know. It's good to understand. It's good to ask questions. It's good to go to the Lord and say, show me. It's good to dig. It's good to swim in deep waters. But there are mysteries of God that man are called not to fully understand. And the wisest words that you can hear this morning is, that is okay. That is okay. Personally, Hunter Jones, this is what I know. I know that God is king. And I know that Jesus Christ is savior. And I know that both are the same. I believe that God is all-knowing, that he has a plan in my life, and that started before the beginning of time. I also believe that Jesus Christ came, sent by God to die for my sins, and there's nothing that I can do or deserve or can earn for that. He did that because he loves us so that all men will come to the knowledge and repent and find salvation. Now, how all of that works together, Hunter Jones, at 40 years old, does not fully understand. And for the individual, hang on it, for the individual that tells you they do, they are a dangerous man. 
For the individual that stands up here and goes, hey, if Clay doesn't want to speak, I sure would. Because I have figured it out. I understand. Me and the Lord, that's it. Me and the Lord get it. We understand the fine print, and I know how to write infinity. I understand what absolute fully means at its deepest level. That's a dangerous individual to speak confidently about assumptions. I believe it's healthy and wise to say, I don't know, it's probably the wisest words from a man's point that you'll hear today. It's healthy and wise to say that I don't know. I believe God even calls us there at times. Why? Because I think light shines in fog. At its deepest level, what does hardening hearts mean? I could speak to you about that, and I could connect it to a lot of verses, and I could share with you, but at its deepest level, how do you write it and explain it? I don't fully understand. Why does God seek to kill Moses? I have a thought. I have a view on it. I can tell you about it later, but I don't fully understand. How does man's faith impact the story? I don't fully understand. How does all of this work together in the mind of God and his plan? I don't fully understand. So where do we find truth in confusion? You've lost me. Where do we find truth in confusion? Where is Christ in Exodus 4? Like a lost child in the mall, start screaming for your father. Where is Jesus? I don't know what I'm seeing, where I'm looking, where I'm at. Where is Christ? Look back at 24. I want you to highlight all together, 24 through 26. And do me a favor. If you figure it out before the end of the sermon, call me when you get home, okay? 24 through 26. Where's Christ? And it came to pass on the way that the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Then Zebariah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. And it cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So let him go. So he let him go. Then she said, You are the husband of blood because of the circumcision. Where is Christ? Moses' failure to keep the Old Testament covenant we see almost cost him his life. God was ready and planned to kill Moses. And that without the shedding of blood, Moses stood under the wrath of God. We see this. Moses had to be touched by sacrificial blood, which is the mark of God. We see it. Turn to Colossians, please. I'm only going to have you flip once or twice, but I need you to see these verses for yourself. Where is Jesus in this illustration? How does the Old Testament point towards the new? Look at Colossians 2. I'm only going to have you flip twice, but it's important that you see it. Go to Colossians 2. We see in this story that Moses has failed to keep the Old Testament covenant. There was no sacrifice for him. He did not have the mark of God. So so look at how this applies to us. Where is Jesus? Go to Colossians 2, verse 11. Scripture tells us, In Him you were also circumcised. 
So in him, being Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out all of the trespasses, having wiped out all of the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he is taking it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. For you and I, Christ is the required bloodshed. He is our substitute. So like Moses, we stood under wrath, and there was not circumcision that saved us. It was the cross. Hebrews 9.22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of that blood, there is no remission of sins. So where is the truth? Let's slow it down. Where is the truth? Where is the light in the fog? Well, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant points towards the new in Christ. That like Moses, that you and I in this room, we are all sinners and we all stand under the wrath of God. We have all failed. We are incapable of holding up the law of God. That is something that we cannot do. It is a task that points us to good things, but we are incapable of doing it. So we are destined for damnation. Salvation still comes through bloodshed. It still comes through sacrifice. And in the New Testament covenant given to you and I, it is Jesus Christ who hang on a cross, hung on a cross, which accomplished salvation for you and I. I told you to, I wanted you to flip just one more time. Romans 3, it'll be the last time for you, okay? Go to Romans 3, please. I want all of this to make sense to you. Go to Romans 3, 21. Look at Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the Pharaoh and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a substitute by His blood through faith demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, his glory, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. For you and I today, salvation comes through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. How do you write infinity? How does that work? with the decision and responsibility of man, I can't fully tell you, but trust is not always understanding. Faith is not always seeing, but it doesn't exclude the point that that is where salvation comes from. 
That Jesus Christ is our substitute. That Jesus Christ is our way. That you and I stood under wrath in the Old Testament confusion or fog in Exodus 4 points us to the goodness of Christ. That is the truth and the light in the midst of things that can't always be understood. Where is Jesus in this? So for you and I, I was thinking about my life and parenthood and kids and being a father. And I have four children. I got two that are five and I got one who's eight and one who's 12. And so for my two girls, my girls understand a very basic understanding of what it means to be a parent and family and responsibilities and whatnot. And they understand that dad is lead and the church is good and and God created and mom and dad love each other and then love them. But at the same time, like they don't understand money. Everything is free. They just think people want to give us everything, right? Like nothing costs anything. They don't understand death or tragedy. They don't understand responsibility or work ethic. They just understand basic levels of life. That's all they can probably hold right now. But my son, who's a little older, who's eight, London understands a little bit more. He understands that we have to work to provide. And the reason that we provide is that we love. So we sit there and we explain to him when we go out to eat or vacation or we have something, we go, hey, you know, we had to work for this. This is not free. He understands that to a degree. And then he understands that we want to give you this because we love you. And so then you have Liam, who's 12, and he's not five, he's not eight, he's a little older. He understands a little bit more. And so he is not an adult, but he's looking through the window of it. And so he understands a little bit more, maybe, about the concept of marriage. And he understands a little bit more about the concept of money. And he understands responsibility. And he's seen a little bit more behind the curtain, right? Like my son has asked me questions about my past. He knows who I am to a degree. He understands more than my five-year-old does. But understand, for all of my kids, there's much that they don't understand. Why? Because it would probably crush them if they did. And there will be a moment that all of them get older and they become moms and dads, hopefully. They have families and they look back and go, hey, dad, now that I'm 40, I understand more. I get it. I've seen more. I understand more. I'm maturing more. My wife and I will probably go to the grave with some things that they don't fully understand and can grab because they might not ever experience or we might not ever share with it. I see the same thing as we walk with the Lord. God has given us everything that we need. God has enlightened and opened up the mind and given teachers and word and scripture for all things that we need. But the reality is there are still mysteries that man cannot fully grasp cannot fully understand, and that is still for his glory and our good. And that is okay. Sometimes the the surface level is not always the worst place to be. At times I see people, and I've been there in my life, where I will see you in the deep end and go, hey man, like maybe you need to come back and master dog paddling. We need to get back to just God is good. And he is the way, and I love Christ and the Great Commission. And for some of you, you go, Hunter, I've never had this conversation with anybody. I barely understand what you're saying. That's okay. But from my circle, 
and my schooling and education and my conversations in ministry, the reality is that I probably had more conversations on this than the Great Commission. I have had more conversations, sadly enough, about who God will choose to save than the reality that I myself are saved. I have been around tons of people who have lost sight of God in their attempt to find Him or measure Him. God is good. Jesus is the way. Thank the Lord for my mind only understanding so much. So I told you we're going to end with why. Why hardening? Why did God choose to do this? Why did we send into the wilderness? Why do we get sick? Why did this tragedy happen? Why kill Moses? Why share some things and not fully share? A why? There's probably a lot of answers, but right there at the top is still all to bring glory to himself. The reason that God chooses all things is still for our good, but it all is to bring glory to him. We will find ourselves in the wilderness, all to bring glory to him. There will be things that we get confused on and you're reading this and go, man, I don't understand it. And you will seek him all to bring glory to himself. As you get older, things will start making sense. For some of you guys in this room, you go, Hunter, I'm so far smarter and more knowledgeable and intelligent about this Bible than I was. Why? All to bring glory to himself. Every deciding moment that the Lord ordains in your life is all to bring glory to Him. This is not a division debate to corrupt the church or to harm relationships. This is not a riddle to solve or a puzzle to argue about. It is a promise of a mystery that you and I should have comfort in. That's a good news. What would it mean if God's not in control? That's bad news. That's bad news. Sometimes I think we fight for things that would not be good for us. It's good news. God has a plan. God is good. His son is the way. Praise Jesus for it. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Lord, forgive me if I have said or led in a way that brought confusion to a difficult conversation. Um, I stand genuinely in a humble space of knowing that I don't fully understand everything. I understand this. I don't fight. I used to fight this. Forgive me for that. In my arrogance, in my self-righteousness, in my pride, I spoke with confidence about things that Hunter Jones fully didn't understand. Forgive me for this. I've hurt people. I've hurt people with assumptions. God, forgive me for that. Lord, open my mind and my eyes for things that we should know. There is so I, I am reminded, God, of every week of how much I don't know. Don't let us take a knee of just saying that we don't get it and that's okay for things you want us to see. There's so much where this church, they need to know. We need to ask questions. The truth is right there in front of us. Bring us to those spaces. But for the places in the Bible that is for you to know and not us at this time, let us still seek peace in that. Let us seek comfort in that. That we have a Father who has not lost sight. 
He is not on the defense. He is in control, and he has an awesome plan. That's enough for me. Let it be enough for this church. Let us not lose sight in our attempt to see. In your precious and holy name, the church says in harmony, amen.